episode 64 at Winning at Work with Neil Donahue. He is the Senior Vice President of Sales at Compass Group North America. They are in excess of $20 billion in sales. Neil's organization is over $400 million per year in annual quota. He has a sales team of more than 200 sales professionals throughout the United States and Canada, and he has a laundry list of sales accomplishments that his organization has achieved. So he is the perfect person to talk to about how to manage a sales force, how to get the best out of a sales force, how to treat a sales force, how to create uh, and promote openness within the organization. Because if you can't get people to come to you, you're not going to ever really solve the problems that they're having and help get the most out of your salespeople. They've actually named their sales channels based on the time to close. So they have one that's a uh, you know really quick. So hello to close is very quick. They have some that take much longer. So it's more of a romancing the stone. So long sales cycle. How do you hire for people in those different groups and strategies around that? What happens when you when a salesperson falls off the track? You know you've already been very selective in who you hire, so you know they haven't forgotten how to sell. So what's the problem? He walks us through. Great examples of how to figure that out, suss it out, get them back on track. Is selfishness good? Is making money good? We're going to discuss that as well. How do you convert a top performer into a leader? How do you help them transition from me to we? And when a salesperson says, I'm number 10 in the organization, I want to be number five, or maybe they're 20 if they want to be 10, how do you help them get there? What do you not want to do? We're going to talk through that. Fantastic episode. Neil is the perfect person to share with us all the insights. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And this episode is sponsored by Join Us Search Group. We are a national retained food and beverage executive search firm specializing in sales, marketing, innovation, and operations. You know, as an A-type personality myself, I've often wondered how in the world can I better manage salespeople? And I know it's a it's an ongoing issue that all VP sales have, just sales organizations have. How do you create the right organization, the right structure? How do you even identify the right types of salespeople? And my guest today has figured this out within his organization. He is the senior vice president of sales at Compass Group North America. Neil Donahue is joining us today. We've got a, a fantastic episode in store for you guys. Neil, welcome into the program, sir. Tony, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I really appreciate your time and your, your thoughts on this subject because uh, as a uh, you know, I'm an Atlanta native, and as a city, we have struggled to get championships. It, there's no no denying it. We've had one championship. If you add in the Major League Soccer, we have two over our entire history. And I think about our city and how pathetic that is. And, of course, come to find out you're in Boston, right? And anybody that knows anything, anything about sports knows Boston has been blessed beyond Compare, right? I mean, every sport you guys touch, it turns to gold. I, I don't want to piss people off, but it's just true. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want to make people angry and have them turn this off within the first two minutes. So I won't go on about the fortunate, uh, our, our fortunate situation up here, but it has been nice over the last 10, 15, 20 years to have a bunch of parades through the city hoisting some type of cup or trophy. So it's a little bit of a low stress lifestyle when it comes to that. Yeah, no, that is definitely not how it is for the rest of us when we're just, <laughs> you know, praying to get just one more or something. So, but it, it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition because you've got a city that has figured out how to win. And all those organizations, they have figured out how to win. And then I look at your organization and you guys clearly, you know, if not the number one uh, contract food service company, uh, in America, perhaps in the world. So you guys definitely have a bit of this kind of championship spirit going on as well. So I do f- kind of find it an interesting parallel that uh, you yourself are now leading a very, very successful sales organization. Well, at times, no one's more surprised than I am that I'm leading a such a successful <laughs> sales organization. You don't suffer from the imposter syndrome, do you? I know some people do. No, I don't. You don't strike me as that way. No, I hope not. Um, but you're right. We are the largest contract food service provider in the world, and certainly here in North America, we are two to three times our, our competition size here, and and we are used to winning, like a championship team. And I think that starts at the top, making sure that you have the right people leading in the right way and doing the right things day in, day out, and uh, staying committed to it. And no flavors of the month here. We can go into that a little bit later, but we've been doing the same things and just trying to get better at them every day for years. And it's, it's paid off for us handsomely. Well, you had also mentioned when we spoke a little bit offline, you you've, you told me this story about um, the golden rule. Well, I think it – listen, the, the company needs certain things out of, our, out of our individuals in order for us to be successful, in order for us to move forward, in order for us to invest into the company and, and for the company to grow. And at the same time, I think we as an organization, I think we've done this better than anybody over time and certainly during this pandemic. I think it's important to us to to give to the employees, to give to our sellers, to let them know, you know, what's expected of them. But also that we're committed to them and we're going to do what we say that we're going to do. And we're going to treat them the way that they want to be treated with empathy and kindness and fairness and we're going to live up to our end of the bargain. And the better we do, we're going to we're going to take some of those riches, if you will, and we're going to give them back to the back to the sellers, so that they'll want to do even more. It's that old that golden rule: do unto others as you would do unto yourself, right? And if this can really be seen by my sellers as a two way street, not just big company trying to hold little seller down or getting it all for the company and nothing back to the seller, or they feel like they're they're not heard of or from, um, and that they can they can have input into the organization and affect change. When all that can happen, then you have everybody willingly picking up on that rope and pulling it in the same direction because everybody is going to win. And I think if there's one thing that we've done over my 25 years of tenure here in the 23 years that I've had with my boss, 
and, and constantly pushing that message out that it's about the people and, and really living up to that because it is about the people. And when that happens, you're going to have the success. It's the same thing as you talk about the sports teams. Those teams where the free agents want to go to know that those organizations are doing the right things every day. Those places, those teams where the free agents are running away from, they already know that those organizations are not doing the right things every day and they don't want to be a part of it. We're fortunate that we have people who want to come join this team because they're seeing in the marketplace that we're doing the right things every day, not only as a company to our clients, but I would say more importantly, as a company to our associates. You know, I was having a conversation with a a senior vice president of restaurants and he made the point that your, your biggest brand evangelists actually come from within the company. And it sounds like that's a, one of these advantages of, you know, when you treat these uh, salespeople, the, the sellers in this way, they become evangelists. So when you've got these free agents, you know, they've seen how they've been treated. They see how they are reacting out of the market. And it does act as a giant magnet because let's face it, you can say you're the best. You can g- create wonderful job descriptions and all these things. But at the end of the day, you know, if that brand experience, if that employer brand is tarnished, you just can't hide that. You're absolutely right. And you have to, and you have to demonstrate it. So about five or six years ago, I created another level of, of management leadership because we were getting so big. We had so many sellers and we promoted nine folks. And when I say promoted, it's because we filled every one of those positions from inside the organization. At the same time, we also grew uh, the level right above them and right below me, and uh, where we have six vice presidents, every single person, with the exception of one, has come from an internal promotion. And I will tell you, the one that we went outside to get, we had already had a relationship with that person for seven years. So we already knew everything about each other, and it was a very easy marriage, if you will, to to pull off. So when your employees see the reinvestment back into their careers and they can look to the people to the left and to the right and say, yeah, this person moved up, this person moved up. And if I want to, there's an opportunity for me there. Then I think that how can they not be, but such a great brand ambassador? How can they not feel like they're somewhere where they're valued and it's, it's a philosophy that we've had, uh, and it served us well because we know that we're not we're a complicated company. We've got 28 operating sectors. We're very complicated. It's better for us if we can keep everybody internally and keep moving them up than it does to go externally. But we can't do it at the expense of the business, and we've been fortunate so far that we haven't had to go outside at the expense of the business because we have the talent on the inside. And we have the talent, I believe, because of the way that the people are treated and the opportunities that they can get to better themselves. When an all-star person leaves a company, it's like a gut punch because you've put so much time and energy and effort into them, but perhaps they weren't in the right place. Perhaps the seller wasn't 
didn't agree with maybe the industry that they had to sell into or the style of the industry that it was going to require of them the traits that they had, it wasn't incongruence. You you guys have a slightly different philosophy around this, don't you? You know, Tony, one of the things that we did years ago was we took every sales role that we had, because as I said, we have many sectors, so therefore we have a lot of sales talent selling into different industries that all have different uh, sales cycles and how they go to market. And so we spent a lot of time looking at ourselves in the mirror and saying, why is this, this person successful over here? Why is this person successful over here? And really defining a blueprint of what a successful seller would look like for us in the various sectors that we sell into. So for instance, in my world, I'm a very quick hello to close. It could even be on a one-call close. Certainly, more times than not, it's only a two-call close with some time in between to to gather the information. Uh, Conversely, if you're in a higher education sales role, that might take years of romancing that stone of a client before you ever get to propose to that person to think about having them switch to us. So those two sales are very, very different. And the personalities needed in there are also very different. You need someone on a higher ed sale that can stay in that pursuit for the long term and someone who's going to feel very comfortable only getting to pitch maybe two or three or four opportunities a year, very high risk, high reward. And then you have another group of sellers who's out there every day beating the pavement, grinding it out, staying scrappy because their sale is so quick and they're in and they're out and they're in and they're out. And it takes a lot of energy and a lot of commitment to do that. And so I need an individual on that side whose personality most most mirrors that so that, you know, they're not, if I hire somebody out of higher ed into my world, they won't be able to keep up with the pace. Uh, it's not something that they're used to. If I take my seller and put them into a higher education space, it's going to take them a while to get used to the different speed of which things happen. And in some people that can make that work and other people it can't. But when we're bringing them into the company, we are very clear about our, our opportunity and the type of person that it's going to take to be successful in that opportunity that they're talking about that day. Somewhere down the road, if they want to switch into another sector, we'll have that conversation. But we're hiring for what we have in front of us today. And we're successful because we stay true to that. And those better leaders that stay true to that don't worry about the fact that they may not have another candidate if this one isn't right. They may not, they don't get blinded by the fact that they have an open territory that's not producing revenue today. And every day it doesn't produce revenue. It makes them further behind. What they do know is that if they stay true to it and they hire the right person, we will get more with that person for a longer time than if we hired the wrong person knowingly going in only to have that person be frustrated 
somewhere down the road and most likely not productive or at least not as productive as we would like them to be or they would like to be simply because how they're wired to go to market is not how we're wired and what needs to happen to go to market. Yeah, you guys are in a fortunate position that you can be very disciplined. And I do know, talking to sales leaders in smaller organizations, if they don't have that big brand awareness, they literally feel desperate sometimes. I think your strategy is is genius. And I took a lot of notes, (laughs) to be honest, because... (laughs) I don't know in all the years of sales why it's never been broken down that way to me before, but focusing on the the end or just, you know, the sales cycle and then, you know, identifying the skills and traits based on the sales cycle. It's it's absolutely it's makes so much sense that I'm kind of kind of wondering the people that are listening to this, are they thinking, come on, Tony, that's pretty pretty obvious or Maybe this is really a, a hidden gem. I will have to see what, what, what people say about that. Um, but I do think this obviously helps get everybody moving in the same direction, though, does it not? I mean, isn't that – I know we talked a little bit ahead of time, and that was one of your big, big rocks was, hey, you got to get people moving in the same direction. Does this kind of qualify, you know, hiring the right person with those right traits? Does that help kind of get everyone pulling at the same time? Well, think about it this way. If you were, if you had a job that you didn't so much love, but it paid okay, right? And, and it was a job, and, and it allowed you to put food on your table, roof over your head, all that stuff. We say, or you had a job that you absolutely love. Let's say both of them paid the same amount and allowed you to put the same amount of food on your table and the same roof over your head. Which one are you going to be more inherently happy at, and which one are you going to be willing? to do more for that organization, the one that that you're not excited about and you don't like versus the one who who fits you more like a glove than the other one does. And I'll subscribe that it's the latter, not the former. And this is also where I think a lot of sales leadership falls short when in their hiring process. Nobody ever thinks or very few people think about what this opportunity does for a candidate or to a candidate. And everyone says, well, the sales leadership, I'm feeling I've, I've got this wound and I want to put a Band-Aid on it. And this seller is my Band-Aid and, and I'm going to hire this person because now my job, my role is filled and I, and I can move on to do other stuff and maybe I'll bring some revenue in and all that. But what people fail to consider in that equation is what you're doing to the candidate if you make a wrong hire. And we're really keen on this. And my boss, Chris Kovaleski, is is super keen on this as well, in that we're not here to, to tip people's lives upside down. We want to find someone who's going to be happy here for years and years. We totally believe with all our sectors that No one should ever have to leave Compass due to a lack of opportunity within Compass if they're successful doing what they're doing. Now, if they're not, then certainly doing what they're doing now, then certainly their their opportunities may be limited. But if they're doing what they're doing now successfully, there's no and they want to do something else, there's no reason they should have to leave to go find out. 
But if I make a wrong hire, I have now tipped that person's life upside down, right? If I wasn't up front and told them, if I didn't make the best decision for me and for that candidate, and we have to separate six months a year, I don't care how long it is down the road, I've now flipped that candidate's life upside down. That person doesn't have a job. is another mark on their resume. They need to start a career over. And that's not fair. It's not fair to that person. So it's why we're so gung-ho, if you will, about making sure that it's the right fit in the right culture and making sure that it, that it marries up to how that person wants to go to market every day. Because I'm not here to tip people's lives upside down unless it's for the better. Right. Unless I'm really improving their quality of life, I'll do that all day long. But I don't want to be here and having to separate from people and watch them in a free fall and start their career over. That's not fair. And I think some sales leadership do do, do that in the sense of not they know what their job requires and yet they pass on identifying whether or not that candidate either checks all the boxes, all those boxes or fits all those needs. So you've made, so let's assume then you have hired the right person. They knew coming in, let's say they're coming into your sector. So it's a quick hello to close. By the way, I love that expression and I love the romancing the stone expression. I, I have to ask you, do you have others? That's if I love those. You, I know, you have to have a few more up your sleeve. What are the other ones? We've got <laughs> I probably listen. Don't hold out on me now. Come on now. This 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 is the good stuff. Uh, how about there's nothing so unequal as the equal treatment of unequals? <laughs> there's nothing so unequal as the unequal treatment. No, as the equal treatment of unequals. So see, that's what happens. Everyone wants to be treated equally, and and why? Why? Why am I going to treat my top producer? The exact same way that I have to work with somebody who I know is not coming to work every day and giving me a solid effort. That person's program is going to look different than my top producer. And yet younger sales leaders or, or those people just not confident and know what to do will treat them both equally the same. And that because they want to say, oh, we do this to everybody. Well, there's nothing so unequal as the equal treatment of unequals. It doesn't make sense. Don't ask me to repeat that, but I agree with you. <laughs> All right. So how do you get that person back on track? I mean, how do you get them moving in the same direction as everyone else? What's the, do you have to put them on a new program? I, I went through, I just finished a class on servant leadership and we call it the freedom V. And if you think of the V, if you go to the very bottom where both sides connect, if you're put down in the bottom of that V, you, you those the, the left and right are the boundaries. So you really have to tighten those person's boundaries up. They don't have as much freedom. But that top salesperson you referred to, they might be enjoying life at the top of the V where there's a lot of space. They have a lot of room to move around. So how do you guys uh, get this person moving back in the same direction as everyone else? That's a great question. And it's uh, that's an art, right? Because it doesn't. There's no, there's no one formula that works for everybody. And, um, you know, you can use your, your situational leadership boxes. You can use your directional leadership boxes, which we do. 
and people earn their way around the box, the four boxes. To that top of that V, as you mentioned, would be a D4 box. All they look for is some support, keep them on the guardrails a little bit, versus the D1 that needs a very um, very structured program, and they're going to get a lot of, a lot of direction. But I think, Tony, it starts – it starts with listening. It's and sometimes leadership has trouble listening because there's times when we think we know all the answers and we've seen it a hundred times before from a hundred different people and we know what we're going to do. But let's face it, nobody wants to fail. I I don't think, and if we've done a, even a decent job at hiring. We've hired somebody who is motivated and, and, and wants to be successful, whatever level of success that may be. I don't have, of all my sellers, I don't have everybody that wants to be number one. And I'd be silly to think that they all do want to be number one. And so they all have their goals because, because what it's going to take for them to get to number one is not what they're willing to do in their personal life to get there. And uh, they might be very com- comfortable being in the top 10, the top 20, as long as we continue to have 140 sellers like we do. They're still in that higher echelon, making a very good living. They're very comfortable. They got a great way of life. And for me to say, you're going to go from 20 to number one, they might say, I don't need to. That's not me. I'm not wired that way. But I think back to your question, it starts with listening because everybody, everybody has a backstory. Everybody has something going on. You and I talked off the air about what you did this weekend and, and how that. So you could come into Monday morning today, uh, you know, tired and sore from all the power washing that you were doing and be in some type of type of mood. Thankfully with me, you're not. So I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> I'm every- committed to the podcast. I'm committed. <laughs> I was. I have the right skills and traits for this role, Neil. There you go. You certainly do. You certainly do. But everybody's got a backstory, and the leaders that can get people to open up and tell them why they're struggling or what's going on. Because remember, people don't disagree with their own data. Whatever they say is what they believe. Maybe right, maybe wrong, but they said it, therefore they believe it to be. So then we need to get through all that. And if it's if it's how they're going to market, maybe they've got a sick grandma and they're unable to 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 give us 100% right now until that happens. Okay, how do we work through that? Maybe it's they're really struggling with some aspect of the cold calling. Okay, what are we doing? How do we get through that? But it starts with listening so that you can develop a plan that everybody can buy into wholeheartedly. Because if I go to tell you and say, Tony, you're struggling. Here's what I need you to do for me every day. I need you to bring me back 20 names of people that you cold called. Well, after a while, you're probably just going to the cemetery, writing down 20 names and bringing them back to me. And that's not going to get us anywhere. But if we can come up with a, if we can come up with a program that everyone buys into and then we monitor that and adjust as need be, we're, gonna, we're going to be that much better. But it starts with listening to try to get to the backstory of why someone's struggling first, rather than just jumping to the results and say, hey, 
you're not good. So this is what we're going to do. That doesn't, that doesn't work. Yeah. You really didn't uncover the reason why they weren't able to hit the 20 sales or the 20 cold calls as it were. So now that you're just telling them to do it, why would you expect a, you know, a different result? Well, yeah. The only reason I'm going to do it differently is because you threatened them. Because you said, if we don't do this, and then what do you have? Once you start to go down the threatening road, then now you have an adversarial relationship. Now you have the stress meter goes up on the seller. You're starting to get annoyed. That doesn't help. But if you can get to the root of the problem and figure out a solution that works that they'll buy into, you're more often going to get that person back on track than if you did it the other way. So what are some of the other rocks that you want to share about leading a type people? Because clearly getting everyone moving in the same direction is a big one. And I think you've just shown, you know, one of the ways to do that is to, you know, help underperforming people, get them to open up and, you know, put together a plan that they, that they buy into and that should bring them back around. So that, that helps in some case. But what about the other A types that are maybe just more, I don't know, selfish, maybe just kind of doing what they want to do? Do you um, do you have to deal with those type of people as well? Listen, I don't know. Probably the selfish is probably in the top three descriptors of a good seller, right? Uh, it just is. It's how we're wired. It's, it's because we we get from our efforts and so you know we've made the mistake in the past as i'm sure a lot of other organizations have where they take a really top-notch seller and they move them into leadership and all of a sudden he can't go from me to we it's still about the me and nobody wants to follow a leader who's all about me it's got to be about we and so the worst thing we can do at times is taking that number one seller or someone in that higher echelon who we don't think is going to be able to flip that switch from me to we and put him into leadership. And so when you are leading those, let's say we leave that person in there, when we are leading those those folks, it's got to be about them, can never be about me, right? Um, and it will get to be about me as long as they're doing what they do, which is sell because then everybody looks good. And um, the more the more you try to get into the we with them, and that particularly an A person who is selfish, my job might simply be I clear the – I'm like a lawnmower. I'm clearing the path in front of you. I want you to walk a nice manicured lawn, not in the deep rough. So let me move the, let me move the lawnmower in front of you. You just follow behind and do what you do. And if we can keep the obstacles out of their way – we don't frustrate them with things that, that they don't need to be frustrated by, then they do what they do best, which is sell. And we, we, don't have, we don't have the issues. When we bog them down with the things that are, are, they feel are derailing or they don't feel are their best, is best suited for them to be successful – that's when you start to frustrate your top performers or any seller for that matter. And when that happens, then you're going to lose them. When you lose the consistency, you know, one of the things through the pandemic, and a lot of companies went through this suspending commissions and, 
and lowering salaries and doing all this stuff. We we had to go through our own cycle of stuff that we did in order to to survive the pandemic. But at the end of the day, we not only kept true to everything that we promised the sales team, we did it in a fashion that was sooner than they expected. And I think if you continue to demonstrate that you're invested in your team and in your individual sellers, and they see that you're working for them and that they're just not working for you, then the relationship with those high performers, those, those selfish, not a bad word. I don't mean selfish as a bad you know, word. And I don't mean that either. I, I didn't I mean that as a negative. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Then the better off you are. Mm-hmm. So well, let's say that you have moved someone from me to we, and then they start reverting back, you know, and maybe they're, they're kind of going through that, that struggle. Um, I think you had uh, commented once before about, you know, titles really shouldn't change you. I don't know how you, you walk people through that from me to we, Hey, I'm in this position now. So why would you expect me to drop back down another level? Right. I imagine you're kind of, you have to deal with egos in, in that, in that way. We don't, uh, obviously, um, every seller, particularly the more successful ones have the stronger egos, right? Because they've been successful. And so typically they've gotten more of the praise, um, which, which helps to build that ego. Right. And yeah. So if you have to go back to your V analogy and you had somebody who was at the very top with very little guardrails, very little direction, just a cheerleader, just somebody to kind of move the, move the pegs in front of them if they get in the way and that person stops doing all that there's that they're supposed to be doing again something's changed probably in their life that we need to explore they're not doing the right things for some reason or they're certainly not doing them as often as they as they were and we're going to have to have a conversation around that now it doesn't need to go all the way down to that first level where okay, you're doing call reports, you're doing this, you're doing that, and I'm going to be looking over your shoulder every day. But it might be something as simple as, you know what, I've never really looked at your deals before because you've always been such a great performer, but maybe maybe you're looking at your deals a little bit sideways. Maybe we've gotten away from asking the questions, those tough questions of the prospect that we need to be. So let's you and I, to start, let's just talk about some deals and, and see if that, if some type of, some type of activity has happened that that's made that person change, but they didn't just stop being good. They didn't just forget how to sell. And they just have chosen not to do it at this particular time, and we need to find out why. Um, and when we can do that, again, listening, it's all about listening. When we can do that, we're able to write the ship more times than it, than it hits an iceberg. Yeah, well, it sounds like you guys really just encourage, you know, people to be authentic. You know, I think that seems to be the – what you're really driving at there. Authentic people and authentic leadership. You find your, you find how it is that, that you are. Don't try to be 
somebody you're not. Don't be the flavor of the month. Don't go out and read a book. And then the next thing you know, you're going to be the book. And then you're going to read another book. And then you're going to be that book. Uh, you, you need to have find your, your own authentic leadership style and stay true to that style. And make sure, you know, just like we hire the right people, you've got to make sure that your leadership style fits that team that uh, that's going to make you happy and can make them happy. You know, I'm, I'm used to, as we said a couple of times, I'm used to that hello to, to close very quick. If you want to put me in a leadership position overseeing the higher education market, maybe I wouldn't be so good. Maybe that would take a lot out of me to change so much because I'm used to a lot of deals. So I got to really, I would have to really think about going into a leadership position like that, uh, where I know it would be so far removed from what I've been doing for so long. So leadership has a responsibility to themselves to make sure that they're leading the team correctly, not just the sellers selling correctly, but them leading it correctly and that they're authentic themselves. Because if a leader is going to wake up crabby every day because of the way that they have to lead, that is going to come through in spades and no one's going to want to pick up the rope and carry it with you. Mm -mm, No, they won't. And it sounds like you guys focus on, sales leadership from a standpoint of much more than just about metrics. Sounds like you guys really, well, to kind of quote that servant leadership again, is you just really come down alongside of them. And that seems to be one of the other ways that you, you really do, you know, kind of manage those, uh, those a types with that, that strategy. Yeah, the, the metrics, you're absolutely right. The metrics can change by person to person, right? I have some people who need to juggle a lot of opportunities at once. They may not be as thorough at each opportunity because they have so much going on, but they're super high energy and that's how they, that's how they go to market. I have others who still sell a large number of accounts, but not as many as the other person I just spoke about. But they do a more thorough job, ask better questions, put out a better proposal because they don't have as many and they really come out. So so I can't use, and they're just as successful, so I can't use the same metrics on everybody because not everybody is built the same. We have baselines, right? I mean, you could say, I could have someone who sells, let's say, 60 accounts a year at a smaller average account size. And I have someone who sells an equal amount and sells 40 deals at a higher average account size. If they both got to the same place, is either one of them more right than the other? And I'd subscribe to you that that it's not. And because they both got to the same place, they just got there differently. So to me, metrics are nice. You should understand them. If if that 60 seller comes to me and sells, I only want to sell 40 next year, but I want to be just like this one over here. 
I know what they have to do. They have to go find bigger accounts. And we're going to talk through how to do that, right? Because the accounts they're selling aren't going to add up at only 40 to where they were. So yes, we can use matrix or metrics from that standpoint, but it's a really understanding the individual and how they can go to market and what they're strong at. And when you, when you can, I'll use the word exploit, when you can exploit those strengths, then you're going to have a more productive seller and you're going to have a happier associate because they are closer to their natural state every day than someone who I say, you got to go make 40 calls just because I came up with the number 40 calls. So do you go to the person who is closing 60 accounts a year and say, what would it take for you to sell 70 or go to the 40 and say, what would it take for you to get to 50? I mean, do you put those kind of competitive challenges out there or are these more self-directed people and they come up with those on their own? Oh, sure. (laughs) I mean, we're all, we're all competitive, but more so than that, we always want to move the organization forward. So today's number isn't going to be tomorrow's number. We're always going to be asked to do more. And, uh, you know, we reward them for that, certainly. But, you know, let's figure out a way. How do we get you to that next level? If you came in number 20 this year and you tell me you want to get in the top 10, here's what that's going to look like. Are you willing to do that? You can't just say, I want to be in the top 10. A leader will, a, a, a lesser leader will say, that's great. I'm writing you down in the top 10. That's your goal. Let's go get it. A more seasoned leader will say, let's understand what that's going to mean for your business and for you day to day. Are you prepared to sell 10, 15, 20? Because that's what more than you sold this year, because that's what it's going to take. Are you prepared to look at larger average account size accounts and sell a little bit differently because that's what it's going to take? And if the answers to both those are yes, then let's put a plan together on how we're going to do that. You can't just simply say, I want to be in the top 10 when you're outside of that top 10. you got to figure out how to get in there. Just like any sports team that says, you know, I'm a pitcher away from being a World Series contender. All right, well, how do we get a pitcher? Um so yeah, so we we always have, or they should be having the conversations around how do we how do we get there? Because we are going to need more, and and they understand that if we're going to continue to reinvest in the company and they see something in it for themselves, meaning they can make more money, then then it becomes an easier conversation. Well, you also have very successful people there that they can see and emulate and model and maybe even be mentored by. But when someone says they want to be number one or be a top 10, I would say go watch the uh, 30 for 30 episode or the series on Michael Jordan. You know, go go watch what he did to be number one. This was not just – I mean, you have to dedicate everything to reach that. And that's really your point is you you don't want to flip somebody's life upside down and tell them to go from being a 20 to a number one. They have to – they have to want it, but they also kind of have to know what it's going to do to their life. Absolutely. They have to have the roadmap to, to do it and see if they're willing 
to commit to it. Maybe maybe they were at 20 and we showed them what number one does and they decide to settle in at 10. Because they're like, well, I can do a lot of that, but I'm not going to do all of that because that's just crazy. And, uh, you know, but you and, still got more, more productivity out of them. And that's the key. You got that 20 to a 10. So the organization as a whole did increase. Yeah, we did. He, and, and that seller won because they now, by moving up 10 spots, they now made more money than they ever made before. So it's always a win-win that way. It's trying to manage the effort into, into getting there. And really seeing if somebody, if somebody has, if that's really what they want to do. Because sometimes, you know, Tony, that, that people will tell you what they think you want to hear. And so they think by talking to me as their sales leader, they think I want to hear that they want to go from 20 to 10 to 1, whatever it is. And yes, to a degree, I want to hear that. But what I, what I really want to hear is their commitment to getting there and then following through on that commitment don't just tell me because i'm going to ask you don't just tell me you want to go from 20 to 10 to 1 but i'm going to ask you what's your plan to get there and if there's if there's not a plan or not a commitment for various reasons could be personal just their time in their life whatever the case may be then then let's not let's not say that all right. Let's, yeah, let's not fool yeah. ourselves. You know, let's, 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 you're not being genuine. Honestly, just, you're just not being honest to, to some degree. Right. I mean, that's, that's you don't right. want to call people out as being dishonest, but I mean, you're really not being honest with yourself. Let's be more realistic. <laughs> Think about it. So now we left our meeting and you and I agreed that you were going to go from 20 to 10 or 20 to one and you're all in and, and all that even though you weren't, you just thought again, it was what I wanted to hear. And you thought it was something good to say and it sounded competitive and all that. Well, throughout that next year, what are my conversations with that person? Where are they leaning? They're leaning towards, Hey, Tony, you're still at 20. We're trying to get to 10. What are you doing? Right. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about how we're going to change our strategy. And you the whole time, you're like, oh, why did I ever say that? Because I don't really want to change, and I'm not changing. And But now you're too far into it, and you can't say to me, yeah, I was just saying that because I thought that <laughs> I was just here. blowing smoke. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I thought it was good for my review. I mean, now they're going to show oh, face. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. And how do they say face? And you know what? And you know what? And how do they say face? And – do you think now there's a psychology at play that now has turned someone who was very happy at 20 now they're a now they've got this negative ominous feeling right that they're not meeting expectations and suddenly you turn someone who was doing quite well frankly you could be at risk of losing them now well that's right and it's it's um and if that leader kind of puts some blinders on and, and doesn't think about the conversation that was had and allows it to go on even though they know probably deep down that that person's not committed to getting there and not certainly not changing their, their modality to get there, then those conversations all throughout the year are so much different. And you've taken a really good relationship. And for, for 
no reason you've made it a strenuous conversation, a strenuous relationship based upon a goal that somebody didn't really want because it was a That's a better way to put it. Yeah, that's yeah. a better way to put it. It's, it's not that they necessarily would leave. I mean, a leave, that's a kind of a worst case. But now, yeah, you, you've damaged that relationship. So you've kind of walked, in, you've walked us through many different ways to lead uh, A-type salespeople. Is there anything else now that we've had this conversation that you feel like you, you need to add in for us? Gee, that's a that's an open ended question and great. Question. It's a softball, Neil. You can you can. So, Neil, you know the listen. The question's up to you. How much more do you want to give? Are you ready to give us one more? Or are we happy staying where we're at? I don't want to damage this relationship. So, how are we doing? <laughs> no, you're all fine. You're good. It's, it's really good. Um, I see. Think- they, see, these are horrible jokes that I make. That was just. It just <laughs> felt. That fell so flat. It sounded great in my mind, and then uh, boom, another. Uh, you know, this is why Atlanta doesn't win. I guess I don't know. people. <laughs> people like me down here in the South. I don't know. Oh, you're funny. Um, I would say that you know, leadership is. When you, when you decide to sign up for leadership, you have to leave your ego at the door. Because as we said earlier, it's no longer me, it's we. And if you're going to get the we and the masses to follow you, they have to feel like you're in it for them and not in it for yourself. And listening, being authentic are all are all great ways to to promote that that sense of openness where where people will come to you and and, and open up and tell you what's what's bothering them or, or asking how you can help them. Or even if you have to make that outgoing call, if you need to call somebody and get them to help you, they'll be, they'll be more responsive. And when I say leave the ego out of it, you really have to, you really have to make sure that your, that your tone is, true all the time. Now, that's not to say that that you can't voice inflect with somebody a little on the aggressive side, but what I am saying is every person that calls or talks with you deserves the same, as long as they're making the call in. Now, if you're agitated and you're making an outgoing call, it could be a little bit different, but every call that comes in, every connection on an email or something like that that comes in needs to start in the same place. And then from there, and which is a which is a place of comfort and a place of of safety, if, if you will. It's only going to take you so every time you call me, Tony, if I'm agitated as soon as I pick up the phone because of a call that I've just had, how long is it going to be before you stop calling me? If I can't give you that sense of that I have balance where, hey, I can call Neil. And he's going to answer the phone in a pleasant tone. And then we're going to get into whatever it is we get into. 
As I mean, as I said, it doesn't need to stay pleasant the entire time if it's not warranted, but to start out in an aggravated state or to start out where someone doesn't know how you're going to react every time you call is not going to promote that openness that you want. People need to be able to feel comfortable that they can call or email or or any other way of community text, um, that they are at least starting out in a place of safety and comfort and have it go from there. Too many times we as leaders, we get emotional and it carries over into the next thing and it carries over into your day. And pretty soon people start to push back or only call you if they already know you're in a good mood. If they call your executive assistant first and say, what kind of mood's he in today? That's, that should never it should never happen. You can yes, I have bad days, but every call should start out the same way and then it just progresses from there. I think you've just said it beautifully. I, I just don't know there's any more that you know you, you can add to that and it's uh, it's a great philosophy. It's a great philosophy of walking the walk, living, this style, you know, to everyone in the organization and as the situation warrants it, yeah, you can ramp up the, the rhetoric, ramp up the tone if, as it's needed, as it's required, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not everybody gets a free pass. I mean, sometimes, sometimes we goof up. I goof up. I expect my boss to, to, you know, come on me if I, if I goof up. Um, but at least let me get him into that state instead of starting at that state, right? And and that's when people will, as I said, they'll come to you, they'll open up, and you'll have a, a much better experience long-term with these folks than if it's any other way. Well, I have written a lot of notes down. You have imparted a lot of sales wisdom and sales leadership to just not just managing a type. I think this went way beyond just managing a type salespeople. Honestly, this to me felt like just a excellent breakdown of how to lead people. And what I think people have witnessed is a culture and it's really hard to define a company culture you might try, but I think just listening to you speak and how you deal with, you know, all levels of salespeople, I think the culture has, has come out quite clearly. I wanted to ask you about the culture, but I really don't need to. I think it's been, it's been shown by the way that you, you know, just operate. And I think it does point to the fact, you know, why you guys are the leading contract food service provider here. You're able to attract this talent. You're able to retain the talent. And let's, me personally, when I go to identify a new client that I'd like to work with, I truly look for companies that hire people from within. Because if I can't identify a client that hires people from within, then we can spend lots of time and effort trying to attract someone to the company. But when they look around and see, gosh, all the promotions are coming from the outside. That's what right. does that tell them? You know, it tells them that they may not even get, get that shot. So, um, yeah. Well, I appreciate it. It does, it does start at the top. Uh, I've been fortunate in to have worked with, 
the same CEO and CFO for 25 years. So the, the message from them every single day is consistent. It's about our people. It's what separates us. It's the walk that they walk. I've been fortunate to have been with my boss for 23 years. It's the same message he preaches every single day and that he's demonstrated day in, day out. And it's the same thing with my, my fellow senior vice presidents. My vice presidents are senior sales directors under me, that it's always about the people and how can we do it. And we lead, I, I think we lead by example from the, from the aspect of we, we want to be there in the trenches with them. We want to show up with them. There's no absentee management here. You need me on the weekend. You need me at night. You need me early in the morning. You know, we're going to do what we need to do to to support them and get. And the whole company is that way. The whole company is is talking in in that fashion of how do we how do we get better every day? How do we treat our people great every day? And then how do we win every day? Because we are obsessed with winning. And I don't think I don't say that that it should be a, a four letter word. There's nothing wrong with that. That's why we're here. That's what we do. But doing it, uh, doing it in the correct fashion, and, and not having to sell your soul, is is the best way to do that. And I think it's been demonstrated um, day in day out here uh, through all facets of the business, not just not just mine. Well, Neil, I could talk to you for a very long time on this subject, and I feel like we have, and we've gotten a lot of great, listen, a lot of great insight into how you think, how you operate, and it's very unusual that you've worked with the same CEO, CF over 25 years. That is a blessing that has been a huge blessing for the entire organization, and it's it's obviously showing up in the results. So um, thank you so much for being here and really sharing all this wisdom and Really, a sales leadership masterclass. If if you ask me, I, I really really appreciate the you know the depth of of uh, insight that that you provided all of us today. Well, you're very kind. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate that, and I'm, I'm blessed every day that I'm here. And uh, hopefully, it came through of of just what it's like to work with such quality people. And um, I think that every day. Well, and I'm going to put links in the show notes. So everyone, you're going to be able to find Neil. You'll know how to get to him, you know, on LinkedIn. They obviously do hire a lot from within, but there are probably certain levels that they do hire from the outside. So I would encourage you if you're a sales salesperson, by all means, you know, send your resume over and get it into their system because you can obviously build a, build a career here. Again, Neil, thank you so much for your time today, sir. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate you. 